Good evening. How's everybody doing tonight? So uh, the word says a merry heart does not, the, merry, the word says, let me try this again, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones, Proverbs 17, 22. Uh, I suspect that we could all use a laugh right now, so I hope a few of my favorite memes will lighten our hearts a little bit before we dive in, all right? Breaking the mold a little bit here. Anybody can relate to this? <laughs> okay. Let's see how good your theology is. <laughs> All right. I'm um, not sure if you guys know, but they recently have made a New Testament gospel into a, the New Testament gospel into a TV series. Why don't you guys read this one? I don't know if you can see that. I'll read that because it's kind of hard to read. It says, this book may contain spoilers for the next season of the hit show, The Chosen. <laughs> this next one's interesting, okay? This one's for Kevin. <laughs> and uh, this next one, here's a small peach of church history. <laughs> Got to bring Calvary Chapel in there. And then I'll say here, uh, we can all relate to this next one at some point in our lives when the Lord has opened our eyes. The Lord gives us the word when we ask for him to speak to us, right? That's awesome. And Jesus was the word. And so um, we're going to start with just a, uh, a background and then we're going to go right into chapter 4 of Samuel. Let's start with a prayer. Father God, Lord, thank you for lightening our hearts a little bit with, with some humor, and um, Lord, I just pray that you bring us close to you as we um, open up your word and uh, see what you have for us tonight. We love you so much, and we thank you for everything that you've done. Amen. All right, so um, just by, by way of background, chapter three we were in last week, uh, just a couple things. We saw that there's a dry spell nationally. And then also with Eli, we saw that Samuel was called and Eli, uh, Eli was now listening to God through Samuel. And then we saw that Samuel had some bad news for Eli due to his disobedience. Some of the takeaways was that there are times and seasons that we have some dry spells and that those dry spells can end, that there's worldly gain and there's worldly losses and those things are only temporary and that God is permanent. And then another takeaway that we had was that his kingdom is the ultimate kingdom. And due to the grace given and freely accepted by Jesus Christ, becoming the ultimate sacrifice on the cross, we have been granted access into the ultimate kingdom, his kingdom. And so in chapter 4, we're going to see here that Samuel has been ignored. The unfaithful priests have decided to wage a battle their own way, which leads Israel to defeat. We will mostly focus on the superstitious aspect of what occurred and the repercussions. Do you know people who might treat Jesus as a good luck charm or an insurance policy? You know people who might only come to church on Christmas or Easter. I know we all do. Maybe some people believe that they're automatic Christians given the culture that they're from. Oh, I'm an American or I grew up in the Bible Belt or I'm from a Christian nation. Maybe people have a Bible on their mantle 
for no other purpose than for religious decoration. Maybe as a Christian, you have seen the Lord work powerfully in your life in a certain way, but you keep pushing that method on other people, almost forgetting that the Lord, as he says here in Hebrews 1.1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. He can work in different ways in our lives, can he not? We can accidentally place God in a box. We can reduce God to a superstition or simply just do things our own way instead of his, which leads to devastating consequences, as we will see. So we're going to start, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. And I want to do something a little bit different here again, just kind of want to break out of the mold. Can you guys read along with me? We're going to read verses 1 through 3 together. Starting, starting now. So, now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the, land, from the hand of our enemies." Okay, and so we see right here, right off the bat, that Israel takes matters into their own hands versus relying on the Lord. So just when something good starts to happen, Satan starts to attack. No sooner, oh, hold on, I gotta learn how to use this thing. Oh, I want to show you guys something real fast. This is the Ark of the Covenant. This is what it looks like. Well, this is not you know, a real picture, okay. But this is uh, on open source. And so um, the Ark of the Covenant uh, was acacia wood overlaid with gold, contained the tablets of the law and other items. Top, um, the top has the mercy seat where only once per year, according to Leviticus 16, the high priest sprinkled blood of a sacrificed animal onto the mercy seat to appease the wrath and anger of God for past sins committed. The mercy seat foreshadowed the ultimate sacrifice for all sin, the blood of Christ, um, for the remission of sins. And um, I want to drop this quote in here, too, because I think that this is fitting. This is from Warren Wiersbe. No sooner does God begin to reveal his word to his people than the enemy shows up to attack them. I think that we've all probably experienced that in some way. This is what this section that we just read doesn't say. It doesn't say, Then Samuel arrived on the scene, and Israel lived happily ever after. In this walk with Jesus, you're not called to have it easy, but rather difficult. If you see here, right off in verse 1, Samuel was put here, and they decided, um, they decided to just do things their own way. And Samuel was put here by God, and they decided to do things their own way. And um, and so instead of instead of going through things the way that the the older Old Testament back in you know Levit Leviticus and Deuteronomy instructed them on how to approach war, basically with God's uh, with God's hand on them, they instead did things their own way. And so 
you know, Samuel didn't have it easy in this aspect. I want to share this verse uh, from John. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus says that. And then also, if you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. They went wrong by attempting to fight in their own might. I know that we've all probably done that in different ways as well. They fought out of alignment with the way that they were supposed to fight. They fought out of alignment with the way that they were supposed to fight. This is another quote by Eugene Merrill. The ark did, rep- did represent the presence of the Lord in the battle, but only when the people carried it by faith and by divine leading. As we saw in chapter 3, God rewards the faithfulness of Samuel, but they decided to fight in their own might. But you can't win against Satan, who prowls around like a roaring lion. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking those who he may devour. This is our real war here. And also, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's a real spiritual war. It's not just, it's not just make-believe. And the only way that we can have any effect in that spiritual war is by understanding what the Lord's will is and then us coming into alignment with that. And that's where they went wrong because they decided they wanted to take things into their own hands. So they're fighting um, the Philistines in their own way. And, um, and then they make a bigger mistake. They made their first mistake, which was to go in their own might. But then after that, the, the second mistake is, is then they doubled down on their bad decision by going and getting the ark as a form of a good luck charm. That's a bad idea. And I want to share... Oh, it's not in here. So I'm going to share this quote with you guys that a friend of mine shared with me recently, and I think it's fitting here when you consider how effective sin really is and... Um, how far it can actually take you. It's this. You guys have probably heard this before. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Um, this next little blurb I'm going to read, this is a, a short blurb from Got Questions. It says this about sin. In John 8:34, Jesus tells the unbelieving Pharisees, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. He uses the analogy of a slave and his master to make the point that a slave obeys his master because he belongs to him. Slaves have no will of their own. They are literally in bondage to their masters. When sin is our master, we are unable to resist it. But by the power of Christ to overcome the power of sin, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Romans 6.18 Once we come to Christ in repentance and receive forgiveness for sin, We are empowered by the Holy Spirit who comes to live within us, and it is his power that we are able to resist sinning and become slaves of righteousness. And so, you know, we've heard it said before that, you know, a a more mature Christian is somebody that would fall 
uh, smaller and that they would get back up quicker, you know, with the Lord's uh, grace, obviously. And so I would just advise that for anybody here, for anybody listening, is that when you get into the sin that you're in, the last thing that you want to do is double down on it because it's just going to become that much worse. And we're going to see here in, in this chapter, there was 4,000 Israelites that were killed in the first battle. And then we're going to see what the results are after they doubled down on their bad decision and how much worse it ended up getting here in this next section. So let's try this again. Uh, I know that this isn't typical for us, but let's try to uh, read through the scriptures again together. And um, we're going to read verses 4 through 10. All right, here's verse 4. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hands of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. Verse 10. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. So we see that it went from 4,000, which was extremely devastating to them, after they go and they get the ark, they double down their sin. Now they've just lost 30,000 foot soldiers. And so we can see when they went, they went to Shiloh. Shiloh is where the, the um, temple was, the tabernacle. And they went and they got the ark. And in, there had been previous battles in, in Israel's past where they had also used the ark. But that was with God's uh, hand on them. And in this case, they just decided they were going to just do it all on their own. And so that wasn't really a good way of doing it. And so I, I kind of think of this section here like the good luck section. They were looking for good luck from God. They wanted to go and get the box, and they were hoping that the box was going to, because it was uh, some sort of religious, had some sort of religious power to it, or so they thought. So they wanted the box to kind of be on their side. And essentially they treated God, God as a big rabbit's foot. And does God work like that? No. No, he doesn't. And then another thing, they, they followed Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, who had already been in trouble in chapter 2. We learned that they stole from the Lord's sacrifice, the meat offering, if you remember that, and they slept with the women assembled at the door of the tabernacle. And so what started as fun and pleasure for them, it's, it soon turned really serious and a really, really poor situation. I gotta get used. I keep forgetting to click on stuff. All right, here we go, sir. <laughs> Thank you. 
But I want to share this verse here. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You know, they're going to be around Hophni and Phineas, And um, we're going to see that if you're going to take part in that, in that war, even more people are going to suffer or become killed because of that. And so in our spiritual battles, we're, they're very real. And again, we just went through those verses about spiritual warfare. And we need to look to our left and to our right. And, and we need to understand that there are people to our left and our right that uh, we should want to be around and that are going to help us. And that there are some people to our left and to our right that maybe we shouldn't be around. My dad used to tell me all the time when I was young, nothing good ever happens after midnight. <laughs> you know, I, I think that he said that because, you know, you're not having a Bible study typically between 12 at midnight and 2 a.m. in the morning, right? Usually there's alcohol involved, there's drugs involved, there's other things involved, and, and it's not good. And... Um, Every now and then, the Captain Obvious comes out of me, so here you go. Stay away from bad people who will drag you down with them. It's just a matter of time, okay? Um, So they cared about the ark, and I would even say the means, but not the ark, uh, but not the God of the ark, the ends, okay? So the means and the ends. You know, the ark was established by God. It was a godly instrument that was used for good purposes to bring about the will of God. However... It wasn't the ark itself that was holy. It was the God of the ark. It was, not, it was not the ark of God. It was the God of the ark. I need some water. And so I don't want to take this too far to the extreme and say, well, it doesn't matter which way that you approach God. You can do anything you want. That's not maybe entirely true, but... I would say that there are themes that I have believed have been able to be picked up through the Bible where I would consider these, these themes to be uh, maybe like foundational means to approach or walk with God. And what I mean by that is, is uh, I refer to them as the four spiritual disciplines. So prayer, worship, scripture, you know, reading and, and studying, and, and then fellowship with other Christians. And those things... I believe, are some of the means that God gives us to be able to approach and walk with him. And so they believe that their own good luck, or in my mind when it says here that they were shouting and that the Philistines became afraid, it made me think of like the Queen song, We Will Rock You. You guys know that? And, and, and they got, you know, they got really scared at first and they were intimidated and then um and then soon they 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 decided to double down themselves on their side and fight like men and then they ended up winning this battle by a lot um the people did use the ark successfully in previous battles as i said earlier but without faith in the god of the ark it becomes reduced to a box okay so my question to you guys and to myself, because God's been confronting me with this the last couple of days as I've been thinking about this as well. What box do you believe in? I just want you to take a moment, give you 30 seconds to kind of think about that. All right. 
Let's do this one more time. Let's, let's read the remaining section of this chapter here from verses 11 to 22, starting with 11. Also, the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching. For his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, Why does the sound of his tumult mean? And the man quickly told Eli. Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were so dim he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle, and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, What happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel forty years. Hold on. Okay, verse 19. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, was with child, due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about that time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God has been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. And so, the ark of God was captured, 30,000 men were killed, and um, Hophni and Phineas were killed, and then all this news comes back to the city, and then this guy, the man of Benjamin, came to spread the news, and it was just really bad news. I mean, it was really bad news, and, and it also completed the prophecies uh, from a, a few chapters ago about the judgment against Eli and his two sons dying in one day. But he himself also died right after he heard the news that the ark uh, was also captured. And it seems like the ark is kind of what takes center uh, stage here as far as what was the worst thing. This is the first time in Israel's history where the ark had left uh, Israel's hands. And so imagine, you know, your world just got taken away from you in regards to you think that this ark had some kind of special power, and then you see the way that you tried to use it, it didn't work. <laughs> they ended up taking it away from you. Your enemy now has the ark. And so the results of taking matters into their own hand uh, versus relying on the faith in Jesus, it ended up becoming an absolute failure in this battle. And again, just think about our spiritual battles. 
without Jesus, if we're going to try to fight things on our own way, and, and I would even say for Christians, um, you know, the Wednesday night group is generally more mature Christians that are here, and so we probably even have a temptation, even as a Christian, to just do the thing that I know to do that's going to get me to that, to that result. And I would just encourage you, always in a fresh way, come before the Lord and see if, make sure that what you're doing is genuine and, and it's faith in Jesus and, and it's that grace. You know, I, you know, I remember even as an older Christian, or I should say a Christian that had been a Christian for, for many years, um, being broken, thinking to myself, I'm in a situation, I can't get out of this, I don't know what to do, I'm at the end of myself, I'm a pretty tough guy, I know what to do, but it's not working. And then the Lord, you know, just through prayer said, you know, I've got the grace, all you've got to do is accept it. And it just doesn't seem right, because after a long time, you might think that you figured something out, right? But grace is still fresh, grace is still there, and regardless of your situation, um, there's still grace. And so we just don't want to be facing these battles in our own might. We don't want to be using our techniques as a Christian as some sort of superstitious rabbit's foot either. Their good luck charm didn't work. And so again, I would ask you, what may be your good luck charm? Maybe you wear your lucky shoes or your shirt. I'm not looking at you, JJ. <laughs> Um, you know, for a competition or, I'm not really a, like a good luck person, but when I hunt, it becomes really tempting for me because I think to myself, all right, you know, everything's got to be just perfect. Put my, my boots on this way or the last time I wore this type of camo, I had better luck. So maybe I should try to do that, you know. Um, it's just, it becomes tempting. I know people who have even told me things where they, they force themselves to think good thoughts. Yay, you know, you make yourself think good thoughts. So that way it counteracts your bad decisions. <laughs> that doesn't work, right? Um, I would even, I would say maybe getting closer to somebody who's been a Christian for a while. You know, maybe we have a certain prayer that we have to pray at a certain time in a certain place. And it's the prayer in that, in that, that method of the prayer that somehow becomes our God. We can even turn our spiritual disciplines into a superstitious rabbit foot if we're not careful. Worship, we want to worship the God in the prayer and not the prayer itself, right? We want to worship the God in the Bible and not the pursuit of biblical knowledge itself, right? And then as a side note on that, if the Bible knowledge doesn't make a deposit 12 inches from our brain down to our hearts, it doesn't work. We want to worship the God in the worship and not the worship itself, right? It's not about how you play the guitar. It's not about the special type of instrument or the special whatever it might be. It's just worshiping God in that moment. We want to worship the God who put your brothers and sisters in your circle, but not the people themselves. And then I would even add, you know, don't worship your pastor because people will fail you. Worship Jesus Christ, the one who gives freely, right? 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is a verse I think we could share all the time. Because we didn't earn it. We didn't do anything. Jesus did it for us. And we have nothing to boast about other than the fact that he allowed us to receive it freely. The Ark of God, um, the means, for the first time ever left the Israelites. I mean, if your prayer partner left you, did God leave you? If you messed up your read the Bible in a year plan, does God leave you? I'm confessing right now that I messed up my read the Bible in a year plan. Okay. And I have one more meme for you guys. Okay. The train wrecks the bus when you hit Leviticus. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, in your wealth, or if your job left you, does that mean that God doesn't love you? If your spouse left you, does that mean that God doesn't love you? Of course not. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our focus always needs to be on the Lord above everything else in our lives, on Jesus Christ. But did God leave the Israelites? Does Jesus leave us? No. Jesus says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. As well, um, you know, faith in Jesus has always been the way to salvation in, in our lives of all times, right? It says here in Hebrews 11, 8 and 9, By faith Abraham, Old Testament, obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of the promises as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And I would say superstitions such as animal sacrifice, or taking the ark into battle, or anything else besides faith in Jesus Christ alone have never worked. And this next one is, a, is the longest uh, scripture section I want to share here with you guys. It's Hebrews 10, 4 through 11. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book, as written of me, to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. The Old Testament, the New Testament, the law, and grace. By that, we have been, we, let me try that again. By that, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so, there's no superstition. 
It's only faith in Jesus Christ. And none, not even the blood sacrifices of the animals in the Old Testament was actually atoning for people's sin for real. It was the blood of Jesus Christ. And we see that through, through those different uh, references there. And so in closing, uh, the results of following your own plans are sadness, death, and defeat, like it was for the many of those in Israel who placed their faith in the ark, but not in God. But not to worry, next week in chapter 5, we will learn that God, who refused to help Israel in this battle, wreaks havoc from within uh, the Philistines, and they will soon return the ark in the next chapter, chapter 6, in an interesting chain of events. It's, God's story is such an uh, interesting and an awesome story to follow. If your superstitious method of approaching the battle gets taken away from you, has God abandoned you? If your Bible with your name engraved on it gets lost, will the cheap paperback Bible in the seat in front of you still work? If your church lets you down, will God still work? If your pastor lets you down, will God still work? Yes. Yes.